morning. Our scripture this morning comes from John chapter 4, verse 46 through 54. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Pillar. My name is Ron, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to fill in for John, who's taking a well-deserved day off today. And so today we're going to continue our work in the book of John. And I wanted to start off with something that uh, I, I think Christy and I found while we lived in Europe. We lived in Europe for a couple of years. We traveled extensively, both when we lived in Asia and when we lived in Europe. And one of the best places I've seen I want to tell you about today. It's in Italy, up north, on the coast of the Italian Riviera. There lies five towns collectively known as Cinque Terre. How many of you have heard of Cinque Terre? How many of you have been to Cinque Terre? All right, all right, good. We got a couple there. And you know how beautiful this place is. It's a popular tourist spot for a good reason, is that it is breathtaking. Five towns linked together, car access is limited, what you do is walk from one town all the way through all five towns, from Monterosa to Rio Maggiore. We go through vineyards, lemon orchards, towns full of great food and great coffee everywhere along the way. We walk in this path called the Blue Trail Path that takes you from the northern town all the way to the southern town. This place is breathtaking. And lots of tourists here, tons of tourists. Rick Steves talked about it, I think, 20 years ago. He mentioned it on one of his travel shows, and Cinque Terre was overrun with tourists. And throughout here, there's lots of signs, signs everywhere in Cinque Terre. Walk this way to Monterosa, walk that way to Vernazia, walk this way to go to the bathroom, walk this way for the best coffee shop in the world. Uh, there was even a uh, Church of the Cappuccino. We didn't go there, but I think I would have liked to worship there. Uh, and uh, so signs navigate us throughout this beautiful land. Signs help us to enjoy what we come here for. Now, the signs in Cinque Terre on the trail and in the towns, they're just as charming and quaint as all of these five towns are as well. But imagine this. Imagine if we went there, we flew to Rome, took a train from Rome to Pisa, and then switched trains at Pisa into, to uh, Spazio. And then from Spazio, we got to the first town, Monterosa, the northern town, and we looked at the sign. And we just marveled at the sign. And maybe we even just took pictures of just the sign. We'd write home to our family, hey, we saw the signs at Cinque Terre. That would be foolish. 
all the expense of money and time all to look at a sign. It would be foolish and a waste of money. Even if the signs were artistic and beautifully crafted, they are just signs. The purpose of a sign is to help us to enjoy Cinque Terre and to do that properly. And we did. We went there twice, and we'll go back again. We're taking a collection uh, afterward, uh, so please contribute to that. <laughs> the sign itself in Cinque Terre is not the main attraction. The sign in any area of our life, whether it's on the highway or on a hiking trail, the sign is not the attraction. It's to help us to enjoy what we're there for. In fact, the sign is not an attraction at all. The sign should be almost invisible. Just like the map is not, we don't marvel at maps uh, in the way of direction. Maps are meant to get us somewhere. And this brings us to our story to today, today. It takes place among a bunch of people who are missing the main attraction because they were too busy gawking at signs. We continue our series in John titled, Jesus is Life. And we see today yet another interaction between Jesus and an unbeliever who discovers for him that Jesus is indeed life. So our story is pretty simple and straightforward. We have two characters. We have an official from the Roman government and Jesus. And this official from the Roman government is a, a governmental worker, a GS employee uh, of sorts, and probably in this region worked for Herod and the same Herod who had John the Baptist's head removed. He probably is a worker from that Herod. The official hears that there's a miracle worker in Cana. Jesus went back to Cana after the uh, uh, turning water to wine miracle that we learned about here a while ago. And now Jesus is back. The man hears that there's this miracle worker who could save his son and travels 20 miles from Capernaum to Cana. Now he makes this to plead with Jesus to come to my house, please, sir, and heal my son. Capernaum to Cana is about 20 miles. The distance we could walk to from here to Naha Airport and back is that distance. And he goes to Jesus. Now he goes there as a man of means. This is not some peasant going to Jesus. This is a man who probably was pretty well-to-do and had the financial resources to pay for medicine and to pay for every possible healing he could have for his boy who laid in his bed sick. But nothing seemed to work. So he does this journey to the miracle worker. Please come see my son who's at the point of death, he says. And Jesus gives him this response that almost, it almost has a little touch of rudeness to it. Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the guy responds, he's like, I'm not getting into theological discussions with you right now. Uh, what I need is please come down before my child dies. And something in the statement it triggered Jesus to be able to say the best five words this man could hear. Go, your son will live. I planned this. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Go, your son will live. That was sweet sound to the man who came, at, who came to Jesus with desperation. Go, your son would live. And the man does exactly that. The, he listens, goes, and he goes home. And while he's on his way home, his servants tell him that the boy was healed. What time was the boy healed? One o'clock. Hey, that was the same time I talked to Jesus. That right there led to the man's belief, he and his household. So this is kind of a 
simple story. A man meets Jesus, and a man is changed by his interaction with Jesus. Now, as a, a fan of books and an English teacher, like, I kind of like something a little more meaty. You know, I, I think I, I like this nuance and the symbolism in books, and this may not have it. However, the more I read it and the more I thought about this passage, the more I see that there is incredible depth for us. There are opportunities for us to see Jesus better. Because as we get all of these, looking at these stories, they give us a better view of Jesus. And so my main idea that we're going to look at today is this. A better view of miracles and a better view of affliction lead to a better view of Jesus. So when we have a better view of miracles and a better view of affliction, we will have a better view of Jesus. So we'll just start with the first. A better view of miracles lead to a better view of Jesus. Now, the Galilean crowd were hungry for miracles, perhaps like we are in a lot of ways. So Jesus gives us this, this uh, comment, unless you, plural you, see signs and wonders, you will not believe. People were just attracted to Jesus for the magic tricks that he was able to do. The Galileans received him and even says that they received him with honor, but it was a different kind of honor. It was an honor that one would give somebody who gives gifts to people. Now, what if this happened to us? How would we respond? Imagine this. Imagine if you know somebody and that somebody hangs around you because of the money they get, because you pay for everything, because you're so generous, and they hang around you for that. Imagine if he hangs around you for the power that comes with knowing you, if you're one of those people. Perhaps the prestige or the position that knowing you will get them so they hang around with you more. Imagine how that would feel. That would kind of feel weird for you. You'd feel used. You know why you would feel used? Because you're being used. That's why you would feel used. And this is what Jesus is saying, is that if we, if, unless we see signs and wonders, we're not going to believe. We're only in it for the magic, for the, the signs, wonders, miracles, healings. And this is something that we may be similar to do today. We, we may be like that Galilean crowd. And so ask yourself this, do we pray more when we want something? Do we pray more to God? Is our prayer life all of a sudden awesome whenever we're in need, whenever we're hurting, whenever we're lacking? If we had a, a screen time type app for our iPhone, it was a prayer time app. I th I'm thinking about making this. Uh, is that we can t sense whether or not your prayers are asking God for stuff or for communing and being with him. Where would the, the time be spent in this? If yours is like mine, I become a, the best prayer when bad things happen or when I'm in need of something. I'm no different from the Galilean crowd. And so I spend time with God to get miracles and signs and wonders and healings more than I do with getting close to God. We are this crowd. And this crowd who keeps asking for stuff from Jesus, these signs from Jesus, Jesus showed exasperation in this. He almost seems tired of it, is that he's coming to give the true gift, which is himself and closeness with God. And rather, people just want his stuff. He gets tired of it just like you and I would get tired of it, except he would get even more tired of it because he knows how empty it would be for us to just seek after signs and wonders and miracles and healings and miss the greatest treasure of all. We're looking at all the cool clues. We're looking at the signs in Cinque Terre, but we're missing the main part, the main beauty, and the main thing that gives us life. But 
we are, the man in the story is not that. The man in the story is not part of the Galilean crowd. He does something different. He listens to Jesus. He obeys Jesus and he goes. And I can imagine this man uh, all the way home. He's walking home, praying, a little doubting, questioning this weird mix of like, does Jesus really, is he going to really heal the way he said he is? I trust him. And so this walk is a walk of faith all the way back to Capernaum. And there from a long way off, he sees his servants running toward him. And you can imagine that first feeling of, oh, my boy died. That seems like the first one. We're always inclined to the negative doubt. My boy died. And then he hears the story quite a bit different. The fever left him. What time did it leave him? This is that government employee. He has to file forms about it later, I think. Uh, and so, like, what time did it leave him? What time was it? And charting 1 o'clock, 1 o'clock, the seventh hour. And then that led to his belief. Because he believed Jesus and went home, he received this what, that he was pleading for Jesus for and ended up becoming a believer. It says that both he and his family believed and became servants of God. These are not Jews. They're not Jews in the Jewish community. They're Romans. They're Gentiles. They want nothing to do with Judaism. But this made him come to Jesus to, to, uh, in his desperation to hear something from Jesus and received it. So better view of miracles lead to a better view of Jesus and a better view of affliction leads to a better view of Jesus. Anxiety about his son and his son's near-death experience led the official to Jesus to help in a time of need. If the boy was healthy and running around, the man may not have gone to Jesus. The man, everything's good in life. Why do I need God? But somehow this sick child woke him up and sent him to Jesus. His cry to Jesus is the same cry of anyone in this room any parent in this room would have, and any parent in the history of the world, no matter what part of town or the world or the globe you live, is the cry is the same, please help my son. I can't do it, please help my son. Affliction is, points the way to Jesus. And we see this, Bishop J.C. Ryle tells us this about affliction. It is one of God's medicines. Affliction is one of God's medicines. I don't like that. I don't want affliction. I'd rather have, make it quicker, make, it, make things disappear. I don't want affliction to give me a medicine. It's a hard truth to have. C.S. Lewis, perhaps a name you're more familiar with, he says this famous quote about suffering. God whispers in our pleasures, he speaks in our conscience, shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So if we were to put that together here, pain is a megaphone God uses to rouse, to wake up, to shake a deaf world. And we know that is true. We know that is true in our own lives. Is because when we're in those moments of bleakness, whatever that is, we seem to go to God more. It, tell, it pushes us in that right direction. From this passage, we learn the, what benefits affliction and suffering confer on our own soul. And we see this in the man. Affliction and suffering does something to our soul that no other blessing can give us. J.C. Ryle goes further and he says this, God blesses us with health, which we want health, but disease and facing, listen to this phrase, losses and crosses are better blessings if they lead us to Jesus. God blesses with health, but disease and facing losses and crosses are better blessings if they lead us to Christ. 
we don't like this. This is a truth we don't want to have. If we could interview the official now, we would say, you get to meet Jesus. Well, that's great, but your son has to get sick. Can we skip that part? We want to skip that part. But somehow, in some way, God uses afflictions in our life, the problem of evil and the problem of suffering and how can a good God do bad things in the world. All of those, that's a worthwhile endeavor to study and it's very challenging. But for right now, here's what we do know is that afflictions take us steps closer to Jesus. Christy and I had a, a couple friend 20 years ago and they were um, kind of annoying. Uh, I don't know, you may have some annoying friends, but uh, this couple friend, they were a little older than us at the time. We were dating uh, and they were trying to give us this advice from their many years above. Uh, I, I hope they're listening right now. Uh, and so what, what they said one time is, we pray for trials because trials lead us to Jesus. I was like, shut up, that's stupid. <laughs> we pray for trials. Trials are coming your way. You don't need to pray for them, okay? It's the, the prophet Run DMC once said, you know, hard times are coming just like a flu. Watch out, homeboy. Don't let them catch you. And so we know that hard times are coming. We do not need to pray for hard times because they're coming our way. Now, we can still hate cancer and broken relationships and financial ruin as we ought. We should hate loss of employment. We should hate death because these are not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way the world is supposed to be. We can hate this suffering in our lives, but at the same time, we can seek Jesus for some truth and take closer steps to God in light of those trials. And so if I were to take my friend's advice, I would switch it. We don't pray for trials. We pray, pray that we may see Jesus in our trials because that's the part that is not guaranteed. Trials are coming, okay? Trials are coming. They're in your lap right now. Um, it, they're coming. The one thing that we do have control over is are we allowing this affliction and suffering to point us to Jesus like the official? See, the Christian life is not synonymous and interchangeable with the American dream. If you are a Christian, you are not promised this nice house, picket fence, 2.5 kids, an upward mobile house. You are not promised any of that stuff because the Christian life can turn all of that around and upside down. The fence is demolished. You lost the house. Your job ends. Your child is sick and dies. Without a proper view of suffering and affliction, we are lost. We are lost if we don't use that affliction closer to Christ. How about you? What are some areas right now, if I were to ask you, what is your suffering or affliction going on in your life now? This could be all different things. It would be all different things in the whatever, 70 of us here in the room. We have 70 different types of things that are suffering or affliction. Yours may be worse than this guy's or vice versa, but it could be something about job or health or money or spouse or parenting or other things that I don't even know. I know we have those in our household. We have affliction and suffering. In our family, we certainly have a particular issue that we've been praying to God for a miracle for years now and it never comes. But our point is, while God may not take away this thorn in the flesh, as Paul talks us about, 
is are we allowing God to move us closer to Jesus in light of this affliction? And so I ask that to you as well. Whatever your situation is, whatever that uh, affliction or suffering or hardship, however you want to define it, are we doing what the official did to run to plead our case to Jesus? Or does it keep us away? So it's easy to say, in light of this affliction, I've had these thoughts myself, if God cared, he'd take this away. Or if God loved me, he'd let me have this new job. Or the house sale, I need that house to sell. Or else I'm going to lose a lot of money. God should do that if he loves me. God, my child needs to live. And if you don't, you don't love me. Now, we don't, none of this stuff is true. We, the, the, the healing doesn't always come the way we want it. The suffering remains with us. Nothing in the Bible promises a skipping life as a Christian. Easy, carefree. It's the opposite. It's the opposite in everything we read in Scripture is that we have affliction in our lives. What are we doing with it? Is this suffering sent, set, setting us on a path to Jesus? We're using the suffering to point us as a signpost, as a marker to Jesus Christ. See, we want to be the official. We're the Galilean crowd a lot of times searching for the, the signs and wonders, but we also want to be this official, this nobleman in our story. We want to come to Jesus because we are desperate and powerless and hopeless in light of whatever that affliction is that we can't control. And so we run to Jesus. We want to be this. This is what Jesus wants from us, to be more like that official. And if you are feeling this way, this powerlessness and desperation, be like this man. Run to Jesus who cares for you. This life will be painful. It will. But Jesus is the comforter. Like the official, let us plead with Jesus for help. My, please heal my son. For, your, for you and for me, it's please, Lord, address this issue, whatever this issue is. Don't ever stop pleading the case with Jesus. It doesn't always going to take it away the way you want it to be, but God will do something great with our suffering and point us to Jesus. Now, in the past couple chapters of John, we've seen this these tr this truth that Jesus is life in Jesus' interaction with people. Nicodemus in chapter 3, we've seen that. The Samaritan woman we've, we looked at last week. And now we see this Gentile, the official, this week. So we have a Jew, Nicodemus, a Samaritan in the woman, and a Gentile with our official. And so it's almost as if Jesus is showing us in this short time that a Jew, a Samaritan and a Gentile are all people in needing of salvation. This is the world. This is who Jesus is for. Jesus is life to all three of these types of people and their life to the world, and Jesus is the life for us as well if we let him. Returning to the main idea that I had for this is a better view of miracles and a better view of affliction lead to a better view of Jesus. Now, I like that thesis statement. I wrote it. I like it. Uh, I think John, in, the, in his book of John, John gives us a better thesis statement for these stories of Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, and the official. He gives us a better uh, thesis statement in John 30, 20, 30. Can we put that on the screen, please? It says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. 
but these are written so that you may believe in Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John's main purpose is not for us to look at signs more. John's main purpose is not for us to figure out ways to get out of our affliction and suffering. John's purpose for telling us all these stories is that you may believe in Jesus and that he is the Christ. That is the ultimate thesis statement why we study the official son, for example. Now, in our seeking the gifts, we are the crowds of Galilee. And when we run toward Jesus in our suffering and plead with him, we are like the official. But we're also like another character in this story that we don't really meet, and that is the boy laying in bed in Capernaum. We are the boy. We are sick and we are dying. In our sin, we have little power to save ourselves. Without divine intervention, we will spiritually die just like that boy, separated from our creator, dying in our sins. Now, Paul tells us, uses this metaphor of being made alive from our death. Just like the boy was made alive from his death physically, Paul uses this metaphor for made alive in our death spiritually. Ephesians 2 tells us, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Before our conversion to Christ, we were as helpless as that boy lying near death. We're dead in our trespasses. But God, he acted on our behalf. Because of his love, he made us alive together with Christ. In the story that we read today, Jesus spoke and the boy came to life. In our life, God speaks life into us and makes us alive. We are healed of sin, of rebellion, of separation. We were made alive in Christ. And this is the summary of the Christian faith right here. God made a dead person alive. Just like Jesus spoke and made the boy alive, God did that for us. It is a symbol of God's goodness in our life. So let us look at the gifts at our current, and our current uh, hardships, both as signs that point us to Jesus. And let those signs of Jesus's wonders and the hardships in our life point us to the immeasurable riches of his grace. And may Pillar Okinawa, all of us here, May we be able to share of those signs of immeasurable grace. Let each other live lives with one another so that we can showcase his immeasurable grace to each other in here and in Okinawa. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the signs that you give us. We thank you for the healing. We thank you, even though it's hard to do so, but we thank you for our sufferings, Lord. We pray that you would do a good work with our afflictions, Lord. We don't want these afflictions. We want them gone. But Lord, we ask that you would do a good work. Please let these hardships point us to you, just like signs and wonders point us to you, Lord. We pray that we can lean on each other so that we can give hope and encouragement in each other's sufferings. You are a good God. 
And we praise you for making us alive with you in Christ. Amen. Thank you.